0: It's the DevRant Podcast.
1: Welcome to the DevRant Podcast. I'm David Fox, or as you might know me on DevRant, D. Fox.
0: And I'm Tim Rogus, a.k.a. T. Rogus. We've got a great show in store for you. To start things off, we're excited to share our chat with the one and only Andy Hunt, author of The Pragmatic Programmer. Then we're bringing in a couple of DevRant community members to talk about their popular rants, and then wrapping up with some DevRant news and updates.
1: I think you guys are really going to enjoy Andy's talk. We're digging into rubber duck debugging, flaccid agile, Halloween tech adventures, and some thrills with Andy's run-in with the porn industry.
0: This is going to be a good one, David. Let's get to it.
1: We're fortunate enough to now welcome Andy Hunt as our first featured guest on the DevRAM podcast. For those who might not be familiar, Andy co-authored what might be the most famous software development book ever, The Pragmatic Programmer, in which he introduced countless software development concepts that are still widely applicable, including the dry principle and a DevRAM community favorite, rubber duck debugging. He also is a founder of the Agile Movement, has written numerous other software development books, and continues to influence and innovate software development mythology in his current work. Andy, welcome
0: to the show, and thanks for being with us.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. Hey,
0: Andy. So uh, we first wanted to kick things off by asking how you first got introduced to programming, and specifically, what was that moment, Like that one moment when you really knew you wanted to be a developer?
2: You know, funny enough, I that is one of those crystal clear moments that I actually remember. Um, I remember it really well. So this would have been mid to late 70s or so. Uh, and I got a book, I forget the title, but it was it was a green book uh, that Radio Shack put out on, you know, basically like the, the upcoming uh, microprocessor revolution. So it was this book on, you know, talking about uh, the, the new advances in I guess it would have been uh, large sc- large-scale integration at the time LSI chips and how that was changing everything uh, the Altair was out they were about maybe a year or two away from putting out their own um, trs80 uh, computer uh, so this was long before you know the PC or anything uh, and I remember I remember reading through this book and and somewhere in there they described the, you know the sort of the early curve of of what we we would now know as Moore's Law, saying how they were going from vacuum tubes to transistors and now to LSI chips, and how that was going to be a game changer in in the future tense, right? And you know, I I mean, I was I was just a uh, you know kid in high school at the time, but I'm looking I'm reading this and it, it made enough of an impression on me that 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 was the moment where I was like. Hell yes, this is, you know, clearly this is this is the way it's going to go and this is going to be very cool. And, you know, the tech that we had at the time was, was pretty laughable. Um, at, at my high school, we had a teletypewriter, you know, with the big wide green bar paper and the little <laughs> print head that would go by uh, on a dial-up. You know, you would dial to the, to the mainframe and put the, the, the phone, uh, handset into the cradle, just like in war games, um, <laughs> which I had to explain to my kids. We, we watched that a couple of years ago and they're like, what the hell are they doing with the phone? What are- <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, uh, you know, yeah, we had, we had to trudge up the hill both ways in the snow, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But that, that was, that was, that was the moment right there. Um. I realized that that you know that was a plausible description of the future, and that was something I wanted to get in into, um, which was interesting because that was ostensibly a hardware book. You know, mm-hmm. it was talking yeah. all about transistors and circuits, um, and I toyed for a while. I've always had an interest in in sort of double E and electronics and and that sort of thing, and I've I've played with um, you know little programmable microcontrollers. But I never did a lot of that. I mean, back in the day, it was like the, the 68HC11, that kind of thing, uh, kind of Motorola chips. But never did much with it until more recently when you had the explosion of Arduinos and Raspberry Pis and, and you know, where it really made it easy. And you could actually concentrate more on the software aspect uh, and not have to get quite so bogged down in you know, making sure that your logic states were properly buffered and you didn't have any underrun sags on your yeah. voltage line or <laughs> God help us, whatever. whatever other kind of nonsense. So one of the um, one of my pet projects uh, that I get into every year, I set up a very high-tech um, Halloween haunted house. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. It's in an now, and people are like, oh, oh, yeah, that's fun. No, no, no. Last year, it was a network system of a couple Raspberry Pis running Elixir and OTP with pneumatic uh, cylinders on relays that would fire up the jump scares, fog <laughs> machines, lasers, eight channels wow. of audio staged around so you know something would scream at you, uh, you know, in a in a stereo field appropriate manner, <laughs> um, uh, you know, the black light, that that whole that whole kind of thing. So that's it's interesting to see that that you know. My very first inclination of playing with hardware, uh, hardware-focused software is is still my hobby, uh, you know, sort of to this day. So yeah, long answer to a short question, but yeah, oh, that's, that's, a was, that's a great answer. Right then and there, you know, printing out pictures of Mister Spock on the green bar computer paper, it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> baby, this this could this could be something someday. <laughs> <laughs> Worked out well for you. So we're going to jump to the next question. It says in your bio
0: that you and Dave Thomas decided to write The Pragmatic Programmer after seeing many of your clients having similar problems, problems that you had fixed before. Are there any specific client stories or examples that stand out that made you really want to write that book? Like, it needed to be written.
2: Um, probably. Uh, the, <laughs> the thing that really still sticks into my mind to this day was the consistency. It, was, it wasn't just, you know, it really wasn't just a couple of clients having similar problems. That was a polite way of saying saying every single damn client having exactly the same damn problems over and over again, and ironically, a lot of that hasn't really changed well. to to this day. Uh, I mean, some of the you know the players have changed, and you know I can make fun of JavaScript a lot, and and I will <laughs> uh, over the next twenty minutes, yeah, because um, it's fun, because it's funny. Uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's some stuff like that, but um, it, it's, you really have to keep in mind, uh, especially when you look at the historical perspective, we haven't been at this very long. You know, our entire industry is, depending how you count, 60 years old, 50 years old, you know, you compare that to law or medicine or something where we've been doing this for thousands of years. We've worked out uh, you know, some of the kinks of, of how to make it work, how to get people into the field and educated and apprenticed and certified, and this kind of thing. And we don't have a whole lot of experience with that. Um, we still don't know how to really evaluate a great programmer from a mediocre programmer other sure. than letting them do it for a while and and sort of watching. you know you've got these these certification efforts out there that are, are ludicrously yeah. stupid. Yeah. I mean, they're pathetic, pathetic. This is, this they're is why aliens don't come to visit us anymore. right? It's <laughs> embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. Um, so, but one, one story that, that, uh, sticks out and we might even have told this in the, in the pragmatic programmer book, but, uh, if, if not, I'll, I'll regale it with you. Now we were at this, um, client, this was our consulting days. We're out, you know, visiting clients, gathering up this info and, um, it was a beautiful, beautiful office building downtown Denver. Uh, everybody had a a window office going around the outside of the semicircular building, right? I mean, just just gorgeous. Yeah. These are the kind of digs you want, uh, you know, for your for your startup. So we go in, and I'll probably get this the wrong wrong way around, but the, the idea was the same. We talk to the to the first person at the end of the line, and they're talking about how. They've got a totally fat client. Everything's being done on the client. It's a razor-thin database. They're just using it for data storage. All the action, the business logic, the UI, everything's on the client, yada, yada, yada. Fine. So we go down the line, and we're talking to developer after developer, and there was maybe 15 of them-ish, plus or minus five, and the story starts changing. Very little each person you talked to, the story would change a little bit. And by the time we got to the last person on the end, it had completely reversed. It was 180 <laughs> degrees around. They were building a razor-thin client that was dumb as a rock, didn't know anything, and all the smarts were in stored procedures on the back-end database. <laughs> so, you know, as a consultant, you asked that penetrating question, hey, you two on the end, y'all ever talk to each other? <laughs> you know, and they didn't because yeah as you might expect, everyone kind of talked to their immediate neighbor and didn't ever really, you know, make the rounds all the way through. And so you had that kind of uh, semantic drift through the organization. <laughs> yep. Um, and the thing that, and, and the reason I mentioned this, that that was one of those pivotal, oh my God, you know, here's where something simple, like, like the, the scrum uh, daily standup would solve that problem in a heartbeat. Bang, done solved, Yep. right? Not a problem, um and yet that's still an issue to this very day, yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, they had this was just a couple weeks ago. They said, oh, yes, they do their uh, their daily stand-up meetings they do on Fridays
0: Hmm.
2: yeah <laughs> um, and their continuous integration uh, it ran last week they they did they ran it last oh, week man. Um, so that was you know. <laughs> They continually try. I guess I'm not sure how that how that worked out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so you know, it's it's in a lot of ways, it's it's the same. It's the same issues, you know, with a little bit different dressing over the last 10, 20 years. But we run into the same uh, issues because the technology's changed. It's gotten more complicated. Uh, it's gotten more interesting, maybe. Um, but you know. We're still the prime ingredient of software and we're still people. We, we have not changed fundamentally in a 20 year time span. Um, so yeah, we kind of still run into the same things.
1: Cool. Um, So, I mean, you you sort of answered this actually just now, but when when I was prepping for this, I was reading the Pragmatic Programmer again, and my my dev friend, he saw me reading it, and we started discussing how, you know, this book that was written in 1999 and does have code examples, it it was so amazing that it seemed everything is still so applicable today. Um, So does that ever surprise you? And is there anything that stands out uh, to you as having changed and maybe being irrelevant at this point?
2: I I think there's definitely a couple of things uh, I would go back and change um, if we got around to it. Uh, I would want to refresh in some of the uh, uh, tech examples to something more meaningful. You know, we talk about things like Corba, which was a big deal at the time and big object oriented Mm -hmm. and fell on its face and never went anywhere. Um, You know, these kinds of things. I I would change some of that. I think I would really want to expand a bit on talking about teamwork. Um, and some of the aspects of that. I mean, we touch on it briefly, but I think that could use some expanding because that's still where folks get into a lot of trouble. Um, And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense because when you go to to college or university, a code boot camp, something... These are typically, you know, very individualized, you know, you write a program, you yep. turn in a program, you write a project. Um, it's rare to find uh, a curriculum that that actually focuses on how to develop software in a team. Yeah. And that takes different skills. And we typically, we don't have them and we're not really training, uh, you know, new folks to the field all that well at that sort of thing. Um, so that's definitely something I think could be uh, could be beefed up um, for it. Uh, I think things have gotten a lot more complicated um, than in those days. I mean, I, when I was when I was first when I first started programming, you know it was basic, it was assembly language. you know, goTo was a perfectly viable uh, control structure and you know often the only control structure <laughs> you know you had. and that was fine. Um, and then we got to the you know, ooh, V I main dot C yeah. that was awesome. That, that's, that's still to me is like the, the pinnacle of human achievement because you could write a program and it was moderately self-contained. It was you, it was the operating system, maybe a library or two you brought in, but it was a fairly narrow and controlled environment. You know, a bug came up. You didn't have that far to look to find it. You know, things were fairly static and fairly straightforward. Compare that to these days where you're trying to, you know, even do a build and suddenly your build fails because some component you needed in the NPM repository got pulled due to a legal dispute yep. and the Internet's broken. <laughs> yep.
1: Good old left pad.
2: Yeah, right? You know, they, they should they should make a, a meme with that using, using the left shark or something, you know, left pad and left shark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's, again, I mean, that's just, it's embarrassing. You know, you tell somebody that outside is. the field of some of the, the monkey business that goes on, they're like, <laughs> are you kidding me? And, and you guys have, like, all the money in my bank account and, you know, <laughs> insurance <laughs> records and, and, you know, voting machines. Scary. And, oh, God. <laughs> you know? uh, so one of the things you introduced in,
0: in your seminal book is the rubber duck debugging. Uh, we're curious. What's the funniest, coolest, or let's just say, most interesting application uh, of of the rubber duck you've ever heard of?
2: There's a, so that's a there's a long answer there. Um, so first of all, I, I have to give credit where it's due. The rubber duck idea came to the book from Dave Thomas, uh, my co-author. He learned it from a mentor of his uh, earlier in his career. Uh, I can almost remember his name, Greg something. I think uh you can I'm, google it it's out there somewhere i'm sure mm-hmm. um but the so so the funniest story i think i've ever heard about a rubber duck was they had one of these giant like 100 foot inflatable ones somewhere that got loose <laughs> and, like <laughs> cruising down the canals i i don't remember if that was it was either east coast us or somewhere in europe um but it's like giant rubber and so of course people would would email dave with with hey look yeah you know, the rubber duck got loose um <laughs> But the, the the funny thing, and I think this was true of a lot of the Pragmatic Programmer book, was this was something that people did but didn't have a name for. Um, before I met Dave, this was something that, that I used to do. I didn't have a doc. I would just like you know say it out loud to my, you know, talking to myself, pacing sort of a thing. And people had all kinds of different variations. They'd talk to their cat. Or, uh, you know, whatever, uh, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever whatever might be the case. Um, and I found out when I was writing the Pragmatic Thinking and Learning book, which touches on a lot of uh, cognitive and neuroscience um, kind of ideas of why we do the things we do and, and how to get better at that. Um, and there was this interesting bit where things that you would think are equivalent mental processes aren't. So, for instance, If I think a thought to myself and have that little voice in my head say a sentence, that's one thing, and it uses one set of neural pathways, one set of networked processes. If instead I actually say it out loud, it activates entirely Hmm. different regions of the brain. Interesting. It lights up different stuff. It takes a totally different route. So one of the things um, that I advocate in, in that book is that when you're trying to learn something, One way to help strengthen memory and strengthen connections is to uh, activate as many different pathways as you can. That's why handwriting notes can be more effective than simply typing them or saying something out loud is different than just, you know, running it over in your head. So. This comes back to to, to the rubber duck thing it actually does make a difference the fact that you're laying something out first of all you're you're speaking it so you're using a different uh, set of uh, processes in the brain but now you're also filling in the gaps because you're explaining it to someone else so you have to fill in your assumptions and the holes in your reasoning you know the plot holes in the narrative that you've given yourself and of course what happens is right you get you know a quarter of the way through it and you're like Oh, yep. damn, I know what yep. it is. You know, oh, there it is. You know, yep. every time. Um, and there's another There's another related thing to that. Um, I also figured out while uh, while writing the thinking and learning book that when you're stuck on a problem, when you're trying to debug something, uh, wh- whether it's a bug in the code, uh, you're stuck on an architectural decision, uh, stuck trying to, to reconcile or understand some uh, requirement uh, from the user, whatever it is, you're stuck on something. Sitting and typing at the computer is the worst place you can be to figure it out because while you're sitting there, your brain is locked in this sort of of symbolic representation mode of thinking with characters coming back and forth and typing. right? And that set of processes that does that kind of, of, of processing is not the same set that gives you access to creativity, fusing different ideas together, coming up with stuff. That's a different set. And they have a bit of mutual exclusion that fight each other. So when you're sitting there, you know, uh, you know coincidentally, this is why pair programming might work really well. Because you're sitting there concentrating on semicolons and braces and crap. You literally can't see the big picture.
1: Yeah. You
2: know, you have to yeah. step up get away from the keyboard. That's yeah. why pair programming works well with a driver and a navigator. Same thing, you're stuck on a bug, right? What happens? You sit there, You're you're beating your head on the terminal. You know, you can't figure it out. You stand up, you walk away. You're halfway down the hall, and what happens? Bing! Yep. You know, you've gotten away from the keyboard, freed up the resources uh, necessary uh, in your mental processing, and bang, the answer comes to you. So the rubber duck works in a very similar way. It's like you know, you're taking your hands off the keyboard, and you're now focused. You're talking to the duck, or whatever. <laughs> um, and it's a separate thing, but that also, you know, you know, if you can, if that doesn't work, get up and walk around the parking lot. Yeah. Um, and that will definitely do the trick. Yeah. Excellent.
1: This question is more about practices of an agile developer and agile in, in general. So you, you say in one section that clients need to be uh, presented with all their options in early stages of software development process. And that basically there needs to be transparency and communication between the dev and the client. Uh, and you give the great tip. Every complaint holds a truth, find the truth, and fix the real problem. Uh, But how do we negotiate uh, that with what seems to be a common theme amongst DevRent users, which is that the clients are fickle, they don't know what they want, and they change their minds at the last minute?
2: That is all true. Yes, clients are fickle. They change their minds at the last minute. Um, but actually, it's even worse than that because it's oftentimes it's not just that the clients being uh, arbitrary or capricious. They've suddenly had a realization. They've learned something. They are in possession of new information that you didn't have before. Their competitor just did something. A new ruling just came down from some upper circuit panel. Some you know, DoD just mandated something else. Um, The fact that clients are a pain in the rump because they change their minds a lot is really just a proxy for the fact that the real world is a pain in the rump and changes really frequently. So the first thing is, when when the client says, "Oops, nope, we got to do it this way instead, the first thing you should think is, wow, good job they caught that. (sighs) And now we can change it. Because, man, that would have sucked if we hadn't known about that for six months and then had to fix it. Because it's always worse when you do it later, right? It doesn't matter whether you're in production or not. It's always worse. So first thing is, hey, great. They've identified this. You know, they have gotten in touch with their inner child and realized that they really want pink on the website instead (laughs) of teal. Okay, whatever. Fine. Yay. Yay for them. They've they've come to a better understanding. All righty. Now comes the problem, of course. We got to make that happen. Yeah. And this is where, this is the whole point of Agile that folks tend to miss. You know, Agile is not scrum. Agile is not about doing some set of practices. Agile is not getting a certificate by mail or eBay. (laughs) Agile is about (laughs) responding to change. Agile is, crap, it's the last minute, and we realize this should be a toaster, not a guided missile, and we've got to make that fix. And agile is being able to do that, and saying, "Okay, boom, and it's done." Oh, this is a this is a great segue into uh, some questions we have from our community.
0: So we have from uh, user Casanova Noir who asks, "Why do you think many tech companies implement the agile process incorrectly?"
2: That is a really good question, and I could probably go on for about six hours <laughs> on uh, my suspicious answers. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple different things in play, um, and a lot of it is that I think our default settings as humans, if you will, um, lead us to do the wrong thing first. You know, typically there's a problem, there's a crisis our knee-jerk reaction biologically comes from, you know, a a leopard in the savannah about to jump at us. And that's what we base our decision on. And that's wrong. (laughs) You know, in in the information age, in the internet age, you know, a lot of our core built-in rules, built-in responses are the wrong ones. So we've got that going against us. Um, The second thing is, Modern business culture and business instruction, you know, when, when you go to, to college and you get a, a degree in, in, you know, an MBA or something or a business degree or modern uh, practices, I think are still suffering from kind of an industrialization hangover. Um, too much of what we rely on are outdated concepts, like thinking that a finished product really is a thing. Products are never done. Do you have an app on your phone that's done? No. No. <laughs> you keep you get updates every week right yep. right it's not it's not finished right. it's a th- it's an evolving it's a thing it's a system right. it's not a finished you're not making a teacup uh, in an injection mold or you know some simple product like that um, we rely on estimates or as i like to call it fortune telling um you know we rely on hierarchical control hey great for you know a bunch of apes in the savannah, not so good when you're in a creative inventive You know, industry like ours, we've got to come up with stuff. Um, You know, the central fallacy that management is is prescient and omniscient, you know, they're not. You know, again, that's a kind of fortune telling. You know, one of the things that Agile says is, hey, we don't know the answers. We have to figure them out. That's kind of the whole point. And that is much more of a salient feature of the information age, not the industrial age. And I think we're just having a hard time coming to grips with that. Which also makes perfect sense. I mean, if you look back, if you look at the history in, like, you know, early 1900s, say, when the country was moving from agrarian to uh, industrialized base, right, there are just repelling horror stories of that age of children getting sucked into the machines and crushed and losing limbs and well we just have a couple more kids because we're going to know the first three are going to lose their limbs in the machine uh in the big factory and you know uh, fires and 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 you know trapping people in and you know, m- you know machines no no safety features no work week kind of legislation right it was it was a yep. pretty rough time because as a society we hadn't yet really figured out what we needed to do to work with the machines in a way that was safe and 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 reasonable, we figured it out eventually. But coming from the farming uh, agrarian background, it's like, oh, we didn't we didn't know we need these things, right? Kids helped you, you know, family farms. Kids helped you on the farm, so it made perfect sense to have kids in the factory. Uh, and then we realized, oh, maybe not such a good idea, you know. Yeah, yeah. And we, it took a while to kind of kind of work that out, and I think that's where we are now. Um. You know, we're still trying to work out fundamental questions of privacy and security and authentication and anonymity. and how does all that work in the non-industrial age? Um and we don't have great answers for a lot of that yet. Um we will. I mean it's just you know it takes time. again, we're we're new at this, yeah, which is easy to forget.
1: yeah, those are those are great points. Uh, th- so this one, you, more or less touched on, uh, but maybe I don't know if you have anything to add uh, from Fat Lard 1993. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely, we Oh know. my God! Um, <laughs> so By comparison, oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, so, did the rubber duck idea immediately make sense to other devs, or did people think you were a bit nutty at first?
2: No, they they loved it. They loved it. Um, uh, and again, you know, a lot of the the things that we put forth um, in Prague, Prague, I think one of the the probably number one response we got to to any tip in there was, wow, you put a name to it. (laughs) This was something I'd heard of, something I'd done, something I'd done in secret. I didn't know if it was really right or not. I didn't know if this was an appropriate uh, technique, if this was an appropriate way to think about something. And you "You guys laid it out like you were standing behind me. (laughs) That was a a very, very common uh, uh, response that we would get. which was wonderful. I mean, as an author, that's, that's absolutely what you want to hear. Um, and, and we were able to do that because, you know, we'd been out, uh, and, and seeing this sort of thing, uh, often enough. It's like, okay, you know, here's, here's the common patterns and, you know, here's what we can distill down, uh, regardless of what language people are using, uh, regardless whether they're, uh, ancient gray beard experts or, you know, young PHP newbies or, you know, whatever <laughs> in between. Um, and I think that's that's part of why the Pragmatic Programmer book ended up being a a really truly timeless classic. Um, that wasn't our intent at all, hmm. right? When when we first started this project, um, Dave and I literally just wanted to write a white paper to send ahead to the clients we'd signed up to give them a head start, so we wouldn't have to spend the first four or five weeks going over the same old. Okay, you need version control. No, Microsoft Outlook is not version control. <laughs> um, I, I, I got it. okay. That only happened once. I, I got to say that <laughs> Okay, it happened once, but it scarred me. It scarred me for life. These these folks would email code to each other at the end of the day, so they'd have a copy on the server uh, for it. it uh, um, <laughs> and that was and that was not that long ago. That actually was that was not twenty years ago. That was closer to five to seven oh, years ago. Oh man. But, Scarred me, um, <laughs> but but yeah yeah so so back yeah so you know we distilled the stuff down to what we thought was the kind of essence at the time It would be general advice, and as it turned out, it it was more general than we thought, um, to the point where it's still spot on, you know some 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 twenty years later, um, which is pretty amazing. But you know the same if you go back and you look at um, Fred Brooks's uh, classic Mythical Man Month. Right, he talks about the development of uh, OS three hundred and sixty on IBM mainframes. If you went in and just replaced the technical terms and used, you know, some more modern hard- hardware and talked about, you know, the JavaScript interpreter or something, you know, you know, talked about something modern um, and didn't change any of the rest of the book, it would re- it still just as true, just as true because it's about people um, and yep. that hasn't changed. Awesome. So we have
0: a final question from the community from 3K Vengeance. What are the best examples that you can think of of companies you've personally seen implement Agile effectively across the organization?
2: Well, I can't name names because of various legal documents, but I, I can tell you some of the uh, uh, characteristics. Um, the ones that were most successful uniformly had executive leadership that, was, uh, that understood and was on board, and if you didn't have that, then you had varying degrees of of uh, you know disease creep in um, and and decrepitness. Hmm. But if the executives actually grasped the concept and and embraced them, embraced the principles, then you know whatever they came across, you know they managed and it was fine. Um, an interesting degraded case, uh, which happened uh, this is probably f- I don't know five years ago maybe. Um, there was this company, really large size sort of uh, XP shop. They had maybe a uh, hundred, hundred and fifty developers, I suppose, and they were thoroughly committed to XP as a way of life, um, to the point where I swear they would like pull out story cards and stuff to figure out where they were going for lunch that day. Um, <laughs> they were they were remarkably zealous uh, in their pursuit of process perfection Hmm. i found out last year they basically went under um they they'd been disbanded they failed so large and so consistently they went under and i told them at the time that that was a that was a big risk of what they were doing because they were the poster child for adopting practices and perfecting practices without actually understanding why or perfecting their skill. They didn't actually use the processes to get software out the door any faster. You know, they didn't use processes or or practices as a tool. It became an end unto itself. So they were sort of rewarded for and on board with perfecting the practices instead of actually getting the job done, um, which I thought was a marvelous cautionary tale. Because, again, Agile has nothing to do with the practices. You know, it does not Mm -hmm. matter to me one whit if you do Scrum or parts of Scrum or Lean or Kanban or XP, but there's things that you need to do. You know, for health and safety, you have to have version control. You have to have an automated build. You have to have a continuous build that's actually sort of continuous. You know, you check something in, it builds, it runs the test. You know, that's the kind of safety net. You need you need to actually talk to the users who are using it in a high bandwidth situation. You know, a face to face conversation. Um, have sit down with them, see what they're doing in context. Um, you know, these sorts of things. If you don't have that, and in- instead spend a week arguing on the best way to calculate story points, you know, you're not going to be successful.
1: Cool. Um, so this is a question from Tim and I. Uh, it. So, it looks like you and Jared Richardson have been working on uh, this Girls Method. And I took um, a look at it and I found it very interesting. To be perfectly honest, I wasn't really familiar with it at all. Um, but it looks pretty promising. And, and we saw um, that it was sort of in a response to users and management abusing Agile. Some terms you use were weaponizing Agile, flaccid Agile. Um, can you talk a bit about? Uh, that for you know our user base who probably isn't that familiar and maybe why it's easier to swallow than Agile in some ways.
2: So the there's a couple things. Um, the biggest things that we push, the biggest ideas that we push with the Grows method, is the fact that the code grows and that you grow in skill. Hence the, the Grows name, right? Everything's growing. You grow code slowly but evenly. You have to grow your skill and the team skill at the same time. So the biggest uh, underlying ways that we say to do that, right? First, you've got to get the safety and hygiene level correct. You've got to get the version control, the the builds, the you know the tests, you know the, the stupid stuff that you know XP assumes you have underneath it, and Scrum assumes that you're doing XP underneath it. So, you know, a lot of people say, oh, we're doing agile. What they're actually doing is like two scrum practices badly, right? Yeah. They don't, they have, they've got daily stand-up meetings on Fridays and they've got a backlog, <laughs> which is actually just a big to-do list yep. and they cross it off when it kind of works, yep. right? And, and that's, a, hey, we're agile. We, no, 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 no. You've got to have the mechanics right first. And then we recommend the, the, the tracer bullet style development, which which we – that's what we called it back in the original Pragmatic Programmer book. Um, and Jared expanded on that in his book, Ship It. Um, the idea that, you know, you can say, yes, we do incremental and iterative development all day long, right? You can tell it to executives. They're like, oh, yes, we're, they have no idea what you just said, you know, and they're not doing it. They're doing two-week waterfalls, you know. They They don't actually understand it. So we've found – it's a much, you know, how you describe a thing is much more important. So when we tell people, okay, it's like a tracer bullet, right? You're shooting a, a machine gun and you see the little lights and the target is moved. Hey, look, you can just track it in real time. That's the difference. You're doing something else. You're calculating, you're, you're scanning, you're searching. The thing has moved. Oh, you got to do all that all over again because your target's moved. No, this is live. You know, it moves, you adjust, Boom. Right. So to do that in code, you start with the the thin thread model, um, the the tracer bullet model, end to end. The very first day, the very first version of the code is hello world, but it goes all the way through the code base. From the very front end to the back database through whatever plumbing you got in the middle, you've got a piece of everything. Even if some of those boxes are empty, and they necessarily will be, because it's only the first day, it's At least it's a box with a label on it, and that's very low inertia. So you start plugging this stuff together and realize, oh, these two things won't work together. We have to rethink that. That's much easier to do when you've got a one-line hello world as opposed to 10,000 lines of, of JavaScript or something yep. equally heinous sitting there. <laughs> um, and I mean, I've personally seen projects blow in excess of $10 million because they hooked up technologies that they didn't realize until the very last stage of integration fundamentally would not work with each other. Oof. So, okay, thin, thin thread, tracer bullet. You describe this to people. We want that long, thin thread. And then as it says grows, you grow the thread, you, you beef it out, you build it out. You start running into problems. It's still small enough that you have that uh, capability. It's low inertia. You can change. You can adjust. And as it gets bigger and bigger, those unexpected problems get smaller and smaller. So you don't have that massive, oh, my God, this whole thing won't possibly work. It's like, oh, okay, this part needs to change. Hmm. Uh, And that's fine. And you work with it that way. But that's kind of the mechanics of what we we put forward to grow the two biggest conceptual ideas, I think, are – Promoting the idea of an experiment as a first-class part of the method, and tempering the whole thing by a skills model. So the idea with the experiment is to get away from the again kind of post-industrialized notion of an iteration as a production period, which is kind of what people look at it as, and instead saying, no, this is actually an experiment. You know, we posit that it's going to be able to do this at the end. And maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe yeah, the so things work the way you thought. Maybe they don't. Everything comes down to experimentation because the questions are: What architecture are you going to use? I don't know. How long is it going to take? How much will it cost? Should we use this framework or that? Hey, it's two o'clock on a Tuesday. There's six new JavaScript frameworks this morning. Which to use? Honestly, I've used that joke in every talk for the last year and it always gets a laugh, but <laughs> I wonder why what- <laughs> it's true. It's it is still true. true. It's that's true. The, that's the sad part. Um, but you know, there's a lot of unknowns out there and it, it is, it is beyond hubris to say that, Oh yes, we will. Cause what happens if we don't say, well, we're going to use the best thing. We're going to use the thing we used last time. Maybe. And it didn't work so well last time, did it? But you know, we're going to use it again cause we're just gluttons for punishment. Um, so we try to get folks into this experimental mindset two ways. First of all, is a simple, uh, you know, kind of technical prototyping idea. It's like, well, we don't know which architecture will work. Let's stub out three different prototypes and try them, and see. Okay, that's a reasonable way to go. You know, we don't know if the user really meant this or meant that. It's contradictory. All right, ask them first of all, and if they if they don't aren't sure, this is new territory. Try it both ways. Try it three ways. See what they think. Right? Experiment with it. Realize that no experiment fails. All experiments generate data. That's true. That's very important. You might have your heart set on this particular technique or this framework, and it might be that it ain't going to work out. Okay. Better to find out now. Right? Yep. So that's the one end of experimentation. The other end is to use experiments for process adoption. One of the biggest reasons that. Uh, agile adoptions fail, is that you know we kind of come out with this. Here's all these things you got to do. You know you're going to do them all starting tomorrow. We're agile now, yay baby! Agile's a word up on the wall, and and we're good. And and it fails because it's too much to take in. So we recommend you know you do one thing at a time, and you try it. And if it doesn't quite work out, try something else. Right? We say, for instance, that you have to have more than one pair of eyes on the code. You have to. I don't care how you do it. If you are into pair programming and you guys are all buds, awesome. Have, have fun with it. If you can't stand the people you work with and you don't want to pair program with them, you want to do code reviews of, of some sort, lo- lovely. You know, Whatever works for you. The point is to have more than one pair of eyes look at the code before it goes anywhere. However you accomplish that, hey, figure it out. Figure out a better way to do it. Tell the rest of us. Because we're still stuck doing the same Agile processes we've been doing for 20 years. Yep. Which I think is an incredible irony that the Agile processes themselves aren't <laughs> very bloody Agile at all. <laughs> That's true. So we're trying to get, you know, we want to, you know, people are doing cool stuff out there. They are doing things that aren't publicized. They, but they're, they're kind of embarrassed. It's like, oh, well, this is just some homegrown thing we came up with. I want to know about it. Other people want to know about it. The big reason that, that actually motivated us to put together grows was to give people a license to experiment because the, the, the chief frustration I felt was hearing from people saying, well, we would like to be able to do this, that and the other thing. And, you know, this bit of, of, of one process, you know, this bit of lean, and this bit of, of scrum and this bit of XP, but they're and this other thing they came up with on their own, but they're not allowed to do it by management because it's not canonical agile. It wasn't in the book, whatever hmm. book they happened to read last. So and that, that just frosted my my biscuit completely because there's no such thing as agile canon, right? Yeah. You know, you, you're supposed to adapt to the situation as it un, as it unfolds. How can continuous adaptation have a fixed canon of practices? Th- that's doesn't make sense. Yeah. But that's kind of what we've sort of fallen into. So if nothing else. I want to give people a license to experiment. And they say, oh, well, we're going to do our, our own thing, and we're going to figure it out, but we're doing the Grows method. Look, see, it's got a little TM after it, and they're, they're probably working on a book, and it's a real thing. <laughs> okay, I, you know. So
1: there you have it. Awesome. Uh, it sounds very interesting. I'm definitely going to try to uh, adopt it more.
2: Well, the other thing, and then the last the last bit of, of, of the Grows uh, formula is tempering everything with a skills model. because the other, the other big, the big problem with presenting people that hey, we're agile. Here's you know 12, 13 new practices to do. Um, it's like one of those cooking shows, right? Where they're they're mixing this goop up in this bowl, and it, it looks like mud with gravel in it. And they're like, now I'm going to put that aside, and here's the one I prepared earlier, and here's this beautiful thing that you know, you know, looks like it's right off of a movie set with with you know turrets and little frosty bits and flamed caramelized whatever, and Yeah, we made that earlier. Yeah, good luck, chump. Um, (laughs) That's kind of what we've done with Agile. We show people this beautiful frosted souffle thing and are like, and here's some eggs and some sugar. Have at it. Yeah. You know, but this techniques you need to know how to use the the burner to caramelize it. You need to know how to whisk it, how to let it set, how to, I'm not a cook. I don't, you know, all this, there are these techniques that you need to know and you need to be able to do them well before you get that beautiful looking cake. So one of the things that we put forth with grows is this skill model. Okay. As a novice, you're a novice per skill. So you're a novice at grows. It's not that you're a novice programmer or a novice manager or whatever. But as a novice, it grows. Start with this. Get this right first. Once you've got that right, now add these things. As experiments, a little bit at a time, make sure they work, get the feedback, work on the feedback, adopt the next thing, and up the ladder you go. Um, I mean, agility comes down to experimenting to get feedback and then acting on it. That's, That's really the whole engine that drives the whole thing. And we've just seen too many folks where they ignore that and just slavishly, you know, f- you know, spend time arguing on the the, the proper length of the stand up meeting, or <laughs> is it really okay to sit, or did they really meet <sighs> leave- ah, daily? Be, been been oh, there, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And then, see, you know, again, this this is what I, I find both uh, comforting and frustrating. It's like it's it's great to see people. Nod in appreciation when I'm giving a talk or something because they've been there, they've seen that. It's also frustrating as hell that this is still a problem in this day and age. You know, somebody asked me in an interview the other day. Oh, you must really love talking about this agile stuff. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, boring as dirt. This was a solved problem fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. <laughs> you know, this is not fun anymore at all. But it's apparently still necessary. So. There you have it. Very cool. Gross
1: Awesome. So now just on to like, uh, we want to do like a lightning round. We do this thing on DevRant where we give weekly prompts uh, to the community of like a a topic uh, about, you know, in in a developer's life, a certain topic. So here's the first one. Craziest deadline you've ever had. All of them.
2: (laughs) Coolest favorite project you've
0: ever worked on. (laughs)
2: My Halloween haunts with the the jumping things that scare the pee out of it. <laughs> two years ago when I did it, one little kid went and told all of his friends, they've got a dead guy in there. They're going <laughs> to call the cops and everything. He was probably seven or eight. It was awesome. <laughs> Coolest bug you ever solved. Okay, so this is a, a slightly longer story. Um Back in the late 90s, I suppose it was, I was building an internet uh, kiosk. So this was supposed to be a public uh, utility thing. You'd set it off in a doctor's office and it was a kiosk that would let you browse portions of the internet safely. So part of that uh, was it obviously had to filter out naughty URLs and 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 blacklist them. Uh, and it was, all, it was all built in, and there was like no way you could crack in and stuff. We used a custom X server, X Windows server. It was, it was really cool. Um, but I was working on, on the testing for the, the naughty part, and um, I forget the details, but somehow it was set up such that for the test to work, I had to have fictitious domain names. They, they couldn't really exist, or, or it would throw the test off. And so I made up these you know, kind of fake porn-sounding names, uh, and my, my test kept blowing up. And it's like, oh, that's because that name actually did exist. (laughs) It's like, oh, oops, okay, well, okay, fine. I I just wasn't (laughs) being creative enough. So I started getting creative (laughs) and making up these really, really just unfortunate and foul and damned if every single one of them existed. (laughs) You've got to be kidding me. Uh, I ended up using random numbers, I think, at the end because I, I, you know, I was trying to come up with a realistic test, you know, yeah. something that looked like, a, uh, you know, a, a porn site name, and I could not come up, you know, with my inventive mind, I could not come up with anything. Somebody else had <laughs> already thought it, and let me tell you, they are some sick people out there. Amen. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Okay, last question: best coworker you've ever had, Judy. Back in the day, Judy was the customer. She was the domain expert. She knew all the answers. We could go to her when we had some intricate problem with, with some transaction and didn't know how to handle it. And she's like, okay, the old system did it this way. This is what people are used to seeing, but that's, that's cocked up. You need to fix it. You need to do it this way instead, or we need to do it this way for six months and then transition to that. You know, she knew where all the skeletons were buried and who put them there. Smart lady.
0: Okay, Andy, well, this looks like all the time we have. So um, this is it for Andy Hunt, programmer, innovator, writer, and all-around awesome guy. Uh,
2: Andy, thank you so much for being on the DevRe podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy programming.
1: Wow, that was that was really good.
0: He's got great passion for what he does.
1: Yeah, I feel like I have like a better understanding of, of Agile now, and I, I, I really learned a lot.
0: Yeah, it makes me want to, uh, you know, prep a haunted house for Halloween more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. He got started with physical computing back in the '70s. Uh, you know, you think of these developers, and it's like where you start isn't where you end up. Yeah, uh, it can take you in so many different directions.
1: Yeah, yeah, probably with punch cards, and you know, yeah, r- really changed. I l- I liked when uh, when Andy went on that went on that rant about not uh, not liking talking about agile um and and what what particularly uh hit home for me was um whether to stand up or sit down during stand-up <laughs> that he was tired of hearing that uh that that debate i thought that was funny yeah i think I mean,
0: we've all we've all uh, been a part of that debate before <laughs> Yeah,
1: ridiculous uh. <laughs> I, I thought i thought Rose was pretty uh interesting and i, I kind of want to try to uh Try to learn more about it and, and look at the possibility of, of adopting it.
0: Yeah, that would be cool.
1: Let's, let's throw in the website again there, um, growsmethod.com.
0: So that was awesome. Uh, such a great talk with Andy. You know, Coming up next, we have our interviews with community members on DevRant, talking about some of their favorite rants. Let's uh, move on to those. So right now we have a top-tier rancher on the line. His name is Cody. His uh, username is Silhouette. So his popular rant has over 200 plus pluses. Cody, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks Thanks for having me. Awesome. So to get things started, we're going to do a dramatic reading of your rant. So uh, here goes. I've been slowly increasing the size of my tech manager's mouse cursor over the last month when he leaves his computer unlocked. It's about an inch tall now, and he hasn't noticed yet. Everyone else in the office does, and it's the best thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh
3: man, it went on for a good 2 months. <laughs> <laughs> I I, he, I don't know like who ended up telling him or like bringing it to his attention that he could actually affect that the size of it, but it, he he finally brought it back down I'm so I'm going to wait a week or two now and start back up. <laughs> <laughs> Did he think it was like a virus or malware or just a- uh, he he very like early on in it like he um his um the the hand pointer over a link in his browser. He he, he caught me passing by and asked, hey, "He's like, hey, is this, is this normal?" And <laughs> he he um he had recently switched to a Mac, so oh, my God. Um, I was just like, yeah, yeah, it's supposed to look like that. The hand's a little bit different than PC, and <laughs> we just we just kind of went on and we just, just kept growing. And like he he never questioned it again after that. Like, oh, that's awesome!
0: <laughs> it was pretty great. <laughs> that's fantastic. How did you hold a straight face the whole time? I mean, I feel like that's the not thing with pranks. It, it, especially over months. It's it's hard to to have that follow through and not want to just like crack at some point and be able to laugh it out.
3: Well my my uh, my cubicle is across the wall from his, so I didn't ever like have to like spend extremely long periods of time of watching him actually use it. <laughs> so it it would it would be like he would go to a meeting and like he just he's just really bad about remembering to, to lock it. So like I would just <laughs> I'd hear him leave. Go increase the size. Go back and laugh about it with everybody else that was still around. And uh, when I did have to to speak with him, I would just. I, there there was times like I would see him like trying to edit Word documents and stuff, and like the 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 cursor would be like three lines of text, and I'm like, how is he still actually <laughs> using this thing? So the, those were the hardest moments of of keeping straight faces, yeah. but. Um, spectacular. Yeah, spectacular.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> so, I think I'm going to try that one, but uh yeah.
3: Well, my 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 big uh, what where I I hoped to go with it was to get it to the to the maximum size and him not notice. Um and and along the way I, I like I just started like bumping up the uh, the text size in his browsers and his editors as well. So I was going to like get it all like big and then just one day like shrink it all as small as it could possibly be. Um, but you know, some, somebody else stepped in and, and, and ruined my fun there.
1: <laughs> cool, oh, cool.
0: Good stuff. So, so curious, uh, any other good office pranks you or say your coworkers have pulled off? It's kind of like a fun, fun office space.
3: Uh, I had, I had actually a fun, fun time today. Actually, uh, somebody else like, uh, misplaced somebody's phone for them. <laughs> In a drawer somewhere and uh while while she was freaking out trying to find that, um I, I wasn't responsible for that, but while she was trying to figure mm. that out, um I I took off with her water bottle, her um her notebook and her computer and just like relocated them to other places in the office.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, it, it, it was about a 30-minute ordeal of her trying to figure out and she was afraid to leave her desk to go looking for things.
0: A smart, uh, smart girl.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I try to keep things fun because uh, uh, otherwise it can get kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds fun. Um, I guess
1: we'll jump into the next question. What, what's your favorite programming hacker movie or show?
3: Um, I'm I'm really pretty partial to uh, Silicon Valley. Oh, I love Silicon Valley. We both do. I I um, I, I, but at the same time, the the it, it or IT crowd. I don't I don't know if I've ever heard somebody say it out loud. Um, I, I, that it it touches on a a lot of good good things too.
0: <laughs> yeah. So here yeah, we have a we have a kooky question for you. This is a hypothetical. We got a bare knuckle brawl between Bill Gates, Linus Trolls. And undead Steve Jobs. How do you see that fight going down?
3: Well, I mean, just man, they're all. I, I I would say Linux wins. I mean, just just from the the fact that Steve Jobs and Bill Gates are tiny individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and I feel like Linus is also a little crazy.
3: Yeah, I, I, I'm a I'm a small frame person, and like. I've never been in a fight, but uh, the people said that they, but I've had multiple people say that they'd be afraid to fight me. That's kind of how I feel about Linux. It's like exactly. It's like e- careful, you might go crazy and claw you don't, your you eyes. Don't know, you don't know what he could
1: do. You don't know what he'll do. <laughs> Love it. Uh, okay, so now we're, we're going to do a lightning round. Uh, we're just going to do some quick questions, and you could just give you know one word answers is, is fine. Uh, favorite programming language?
3: Uh, man. I'm it, people are gonna hate me, but as far as languages that I know, let's go with PHP. I love PHP. <laughs> Favorite IED. Uh, Sublime Text is is where I pretty much live most of the time. Okay.
1: Mac, Windows, or Linux. I'm
3: a Mac user. Spaces or tabs. Ooh. Depends on if you're talking about where I keep my um my my browser windows or if you're talking about the way that I code. Um both uh m- mostly tabs though <laughs> <laughs> emacs or vim or fuck them both uh, nano okay that's a good
1: that's a good answer <laughs> okay so one final question if you could be doing anything in the future your dream job what would it be
3: uh i, I don't know if it's if, if it's an, an actual job that that people have in, in weird or outside of weird places, like, you know, Google and stuff, but, but you know, that, th- that kind of imagineer role that like, that, that person that, you know, chooses to think for all the people that don't think that that one sounds fun. Mm, yeah. <laughs> nice. I, I, I work with, with a, a lot of people in a lot of departments ask things of our, you know, it, it's a web shop basically. And they, they want things that don't, really exist or makes any sense mm-hmm. so it's it's like it's our job to kind of package things for them in, into a way that makes sense but um to do that full-time would probably either be fun or the worst yeah. thing in the world <laughs>
1: <laughs> cool that's that's all Thank, awesome. thanks again this was this was a lot of fun
0: Nice talking, and now we have another quality ranter who goes by the screen name sway hey sway uh good to have you on the show
4: Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So to start
0: off, we're going to do a dramatic reading of one of your top rants. Uh, Sway, let's hear it from you.
4: All right, sure. So there was an inspection from government for our bank's IT security. I gave it two to our servers and security systems. I threw all possible acronyms as much as I could remember. The inspector nodded and noted down, never uttered a single word. Finally, he breaks his silence. Looking at the device, he points out and says, what's that? I look at the device, then stare at his face back again at the device. And to his face, I reply, that's an AC air conditioner.
1: <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
4: So what happened was a few years back, I used to work for a bank and then um, the senior guy, he called in sick. So I had to fill in for him. And then uh, all of a sudden my, my manager comes in and he says, uh, there's an inspection going on. I got to take over. and like, Mm-hmm. I was I was scared. I mean you know. <laughs> a surprise <laughs> inspection, yeah.
1: yeah,
4: exactly. and and it's from the government. I couldn't say anything or I couldn't do anything. I was scared. i, I never had this experience before. And then, you know, uh, I threw in all all the stuff that I could that I could remember from my yeah. high
1: school <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and how did he respond when when you told him that that's the air conditioner?
4: I mean, you should you should have seen the look in his face. <laughs>
0: I was going to say, like, uh, maybe he watches Mr. Robot, you know, worries about, you know, yeah. AC controllers getting
4: hacked. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, uh, we use AC for cooling, right? Cooling the service. I mean, that's how we do it. That's like the cheap tricks.
1: <laughs> you said you were doing that uh, to fill in for someone, but what's your normal role?
4: So, so um, it, it's a crazy thing, I mean, I was hired as a QA engineer uh, at the same time you know I used to work with the admin a lot um, I, I used to look after the servers I had to look after the connections and you know everything like um, like the internet ERP yeah the, but that's my secondary job at my work
0: <laughs>
4: I see um, well,
0: that, that may have been a secondary job for the inspector as well <laughs> <laughs> uh, me
4: may, yeah maybe uh.
0: maybe. Oh, All yeah. right, great. Well, we got uh, time for the lightning round. So you ready? Got some quick questions going for you. Uh-huh. All right, sure. What's your favorite
1: programming language?
4: Uh, Java.
0: Cool. What's your favorite IDE?
1: Eclipse. Good choice. <laughs> Mac, Windows, or Linux?
0: Um, li- Windows. <laughs> Spaces or tabs? Uh, tabs. Emacs or Vim or fuck them both? Oh, fucking both. <laughs>
1: good man. Good man. Yeah, you, you like your <laughs> eclipse. If you could be doing anything in the future as your dream job, what would that be?
4: Um, Nothing, in fact. <laughs> nothing? I just lie. I, I want to just lie around doing nothing, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when the robots take over, uh, we'll see.
4: Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you never know.
0: That's a good one. Fantastic. Well, that's actually uh, what we have for you. Like I said, it's a quick segment. Right. So thanks again, Sway, right. for being on here. I yeah, should. Sure. Uh, Thank I you for having me, man.
1: Yeah, thanks.
0: So we have some exciting updates for DevRant we have put out recently. Uh, maybe you noticed the Android push notice. We've recently uh, revamped those. So if you're on Android and you're getting push notice, uh, they'll now take you directly to the relevant rant or comment, uh, which before just kind of opened in the app. Willy nilly, like so. This is a this is a pretty big deal. If you turned off notifications, so they're annoying. Turn them back on because they're pretty awesome now.
1: Um, and on, on that same note, we've also been doing a lot of Android bug fixing uh, and and optimizations in general. I'm trying to go through and, and clean up all the crashes. Um, there's not that many, but but there there's a few. So we're going to continue working hard on uh on those crashes. Um, and we also just introduced uh, badge counts on, on both iOS and Android, which is pretty cool. So now you can see how many um, notifications you have without even
0: opening the app. And the cartoon, maybe you guys have seen the latest cartoons out. Uh, it's pretty fun looking at pair programming and the perils, trials and tribulations that can come out of that. So uh, it's at youtube.com slash app is our channel. Uh, definitely check that out. It's pretty fun. As far as what's coming up for DevRant, we're pretty excited to announce we're going to be uh, have a booth at the Momentum Conference that uh, the Next Web is hosting here in New York. It's November sixteenth in Brooklyn, so if you're coming by, definitely uh, check in, stop by, uh, say hi. You know, we'll have swag to hand out for free, not have to earn any points. It's great. Definitely come by and say hi. Cool. Uh,
1: So a lot of people have asked for a website field or other social media fields. on their profile, so we're going to start by adding a, webs- a website field or sort of like a variable field where you could add any, uh, a link to any of your, uh, could be social media platform or, or your website. Um, so that should be cool. And we're also going to start overhauling the web version uh, pretty soon. You know, when we put it together, it was put together pretty quickly because we, we were trying to get it out there, uh, but we want to make a lot of improvements. We know it's missing a lot of functionality. Yeah, so so that should be that should get a lot better in in the coming months.
0: Well, thanks for listening, guys. I know we got some uh, crazy stuff go down. We had Andy Hunt talk about agile and rubber ducking and how he got into computer programming. Just a lot of fun stuff there, and of course, you know, a couple of our uh, DevRant member users talking about their their rants and of course the updates which uh, hopefully you guys are uh, active users on DevRant because we've got some just a fun community of programmers and developers who just like to share about you know being a programmer and you know, dealing with the ups and downs of uh, the lifestyle that a lot of people just simply don't relate to or understand. Uh, so be surrounded by like-minded people. It's just a really fun place. And our iOS, Android, we've got a web product as well, uh, devrant.io. Don't want to kind of give away too much right now. Very exciting guest lined up for the next episode. Let's just say he's... Uh, The creator of one of the major number one number two web frameworks in the world
1: yeah so we we hope uh, everyone enjoy the podcast and if you have any uh feedback on what you'd like to see in in future episodes just let us know on on the app and we're you know happy to to try to make it happen
0: yeah great so uh thanks again for listening i'm t Rogus. tim Rogus, and
1: and i'm d fox david fox
0: happy ranting